Guys, it's um, going to be such a privilege for us to have Joel Ryder come and bring us the word this morning. Um, already the applause starts. I heard a couple little golf claps there. Uh, Joel is uh, going to be directing our youth ministry. Austin's not going anywhere. He's just redirecting some of his efforts, but Joel is going to be directing our, our youth ministry here, which is one of the coolest things going on at Veritas Church. Uh, but man, I'm just excited for you guys. I'm excited for me to hear the word through Joel. Um, I tasked him with a difficult task. We get to the end of the book of Hebrews. It's been just so much about Christ and so much about this better covenant that we have in Christ. And now toward the end, he's going to do some rapid fire, really practical stuff. And I'm like, Joel, you're a single guy. Why didn't you tell us about marriage, right? And so uh, in the meantime, Joel has gotten engaged. And so there's going to be all sorts of reasons for him uh, to be able to really, honestly, I, I said to him, I said, man, go into this text because of what you need to gain and then just call us into that journey with you. And so uh, Joel's a man of God. I totally trust him to bring us the word. And so I want to pray for him and for us as, as we open up Hebrews 13 together. So will you join me in praying? God, this is a moment where um, we're humbly asking you, God, to teach us. Because most of what we know most of the habits of our life, Lord, um, they haven't come from you, unfortunately, Lord. They, they've come from our own imaginations. They've come from the world that we live in, voices that surround us. But we want you. We want your truth. We want to be guided, Lord, by your spirit now. So I pray for Joel that he'd have strength and conviction as, as he brings the word. But more than that, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us listening hearts humble listening hearts right now to receive from you what we desperately need. And so we give this all to you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. What's up, Veritas? Good morning. <laughs> like Jeff said, I'm very excited for these changes in my life. I'm very excited to lead our youth group. It's a ton of fun. I've been there before. I got to intern with them a couple years ago. Our youth is a blast. Uh, if you've gone through it, you know that. If your kids are in it, you know that. Um, more than anything, I'm super excited. Um, on top of that, I just got engaged. My beautiful, wonderful fiance is here today. The boys got me, that's right, come on. <laughs> but anyways, for a little backdrop on my life, I am 23 years old, and just to give you a little clarity on my relationship life, roughly over two decades of that is singleness. Six months is dating, and a little over nine days I've been engaged. So I'm very qualified for this, as you can see. <laughs> No, I'm excited, guys. This is actually just a text that has meant a lot to me. I'm heading into, yeah, probably this, the second biggest decision of my life, right? Beside following Jesus, who I'm going to marry is the second biggest decision that I'll make. And for many of you, you've already made that decision or you want to make that decision. It's going to be a big decision, okay? And so we're heading into Hebrews again, right? We're continuing off where we were. And so if you have your Bibles, if you have your phone, go ahead and open up to Hebrews 13, verses 4. We only have one verse today, all right? It's exciting. While you're heading there, just kind of want you to think about this. Have you ever thought it's really, really weird, like kind of almost uncomfortable how serious Christians take marriage, right? Like it's, they, these are the people that fight the hardest. They care the most. They're the ones like, no, don't head towards divorce. Like this is a big deal. And actually to the world, sometimes we look like we're anti-marriage, 
Right? People are like, why can't I just love who I want to love? Why can't I just do what I want to do with this person before they're like, I'm going to get married anyway. Like, it doesn't, it shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. Why are you guys such sticklers about marriage? But like, if you look at Christians, you realize we're following Christ. And so I actually want to just rephrase for you Matthew 19, okay? If we're following Jesus, what does Jesus have to say about marriage? Right? And so in this text, he's actually asked, Jesus, what about divorce? Like, why can't we get divorced? Like Moses said we could get divorced. Why can't we get divorced? And he's like, man, what God brought together, you should not separate. What God brought together, you should not separate. He says the only reason we can get divorced is for sexual immorality. And he adds a weight to this text so much so that his disciples look at him. They're like, Jesus, if that's the relationship between a man and a wife, it's better not to be married. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> It's better to not be married. It's actually better to be single. He's saying few people can actually accept this, but if you can accept this, you should. So how come Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself, the creator of marriage, would actually look at us as humans and be like, you should be single because it's better, because you don't actually understand the way of marriage? So the big question for today, guys what is the big deal about marriage? Why is marriage such a big deal? Like we have to ask ourselves this question because the majority of us in this room can't accept what Jesus has said. And he told us that. Most of you can't accept this. I can't accept this. I just got engaged. Like I, we need to understand what marriage is if we're gonna do it rightly. So what's Hebrews have to say to us this morning? The author of Hebrews writes, marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. All right, that's it. <laughs> Heavy text, but it's great, right? So we're gonna go through this step by step. I picked out six words in this that I'm actually gonna go through with you and tell you what this author is teaching us about marriage, what marriage is meant to be for us. And so I wanna start off with the word marriage, right? That's the main focus. That's what we're talking about. That is what he starts his own text off the word he's using here, right, in this translation, it literally just means a wedding or a wedding feast or a marriage, right? It's not, he's not trying to hide anything from you. There's not a deeper definition to you, but he is, like, encapsulating the entire meaning of marriage. He's not just talking about people way down the road or people who are now getting married or people in a certain dating space. He's saying, no, we should care about the wedding, celebrating the wedding, and marriage for the rest of the lives of those two who are getting married, right? But to look at marriage, to understand marriage correctly, we need to jump back to Genesis Two, right? In Genesis 2, God makes man. We all know that man is Adam. And he looks at Adam, and God's like, it is not good for man to be alone, right? The creator of the universe looks at the first human he has made and says, I do not believe it is good for you to be alone. And so he starts creating animals. He starts one after the other, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish, and all those things. And he presents each one of them to man. That's what this text tells us. And each thing isn't good enough, right? I'm imagining him just looking like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm like, there's so many animals. How many times did Adam have to tell God no? But anyways, God's like, all right, none of these are good enough. And so he puts Adam into a deep sleep, right? We've heard this story before. He pulls a rib from his, from his side and he makes woman, right? Woman, come from man. He makes the woman for man, the man for woman. And they're actually perfect for each other. Right, that word that I said earlier that like 
It is not good for man to be alone. God says, I will make a helper corresponding to him. That word corresponding sometimes means suitable. That means opposite to. Like, we're not supposed to be like the person we marry. Like, they're actually supposed to complement us perfectly. So God made woman for man and man for woman. And he says, this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and bonds with his wife. And they become one flesh. But the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. Guys, the world does not get this, right? Like, the world does not look at this and be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm totally on board. That's brilliant. No, actually, the world has looked at marriage and made it equal sex. Like, that's just what it's done. Right? If we look outside, like, why are people not getting married as much anymore? Why is divorce so high? It's because marriage doesn't mean anything. This thing that was supposed to unite people no longer does. It actually makes people feel alone and used. Where sex was meant to be a self-gratification, it's become, where sex was not meant to be a self-gratification, it's actually meant to be a self-donation. The world has twisted that and plugged it into every area of our culture. Like, man, just sleep with the person you love. Like, it's going to be great. Like, i got to figure out the chemistry between us. Like, we look at our bodies and we see, like, I, as a man, was actually made for a woman. She was made for me. We have parts corresponding to each other. And so the world has taken this and been like, all right, so if marriage equals sex then just have sex and don't worry about all the busy stuff. Don't worry about all the pain, the hard work, that extra side of things. Just do whatever you want. And my fear for us is that's actually bled into the way we look at marriage. Right? We get married and we're like, I'm married, now I can have sex. But still we twist it and we make marriage equal sex. And so we start doing like, these things to like, please ourselves. Right? We're like, man, finally I'm getting this pleasure that I have been waiting for so long. And instead of loving your wife or your husband the way you should have, you love them because you love yourself. Right? We distort this thing that is meant to be marriage. Marriage was not just a physical thing. Like this one flesh union, this thing that is marriage was actually made by God to represent God. Right, if you're new to the church, you might not know this, but if you've been around, you know that Jesus is actually going to marry the church someday. That Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. Like There's going to be this mysterious union between us. Like Jesus brings him to himself. Like, he makes us part of him in a beautiful gospel salvation way. Like Marriage is not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. You tie your souls together. You tie your lives together. There's going to be a lot more to your life than sex. You're going to have kids you're going to have hardship. You're going to have pain. And maybe not all those things will go well. You'll lose jobs. You might lose a kid. You might not be able to have kids. Like, marriage isn't this thing that's just going to be perfect. It's actually a difficult but super meaningful, important theme that God has given us. Right? And so my point number one for the day is that marriage is a one flesh union that is beyond physical. Marriage is a one flesh union that is beyond physical. Okay, word number two today is honor, right? He says marriage is to be honored by all. What does this word honor mean? He actually tells us that this word honor is supposed to be valued, precious, like held of great price to its full value, right? I think of two things when I think of honor, right? The first thing is an honor student, right? You're like, classic nerd. Um, I'm just kidding. I was an honor student for a little bit. I'm not meaning to brag, but if you felt bad about the nerd joke, I'm one too. Um, Um, basically what I'm trying to say is, you know, if you're an honor student, you know what it's like. You get these good grades, you get your report card, you're like, what's up, mom and dad? I got like all A's. (laughs) And they're like, out of (laughs) way. And you head outside, you know, they're taking you to class. They roll this huge red carpet before you. They clean the car so you feel good. You get shotgun. They buy you your favorite drink on the way to school. They're like, 
you matter because you're an honor student. You know, if you're an honor student, you're like, my parents have never done that for me. I'm really missing out. Don't worry. Nobody's parents do that for them. All right? Nobody cares. We're proud of you. We love that you are a good student. But honor student is just a title. Right? I actually had a buddy in high school. Pretty sure he's our valedictorian. I don't want to say that as a fact in case I'm wrong. But kid is brilliant. Right? Like my whole senior year, he just went to college but still came to high school and hung out with us. I don't really know what was going on there. But he, he's a brilliant kid. And it's like, man, you're an honor student, so you should matter. And what happened instead is our, our Christmas break, we get Christmas break. Your senior year, Christmas break, you want to hang out with your best friends. It's like the last time, like go on ski trips or whatever. And he doesn't hang out with us for the entire two weeks. Like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> He's like, man, I, I got to apply to all these colleges. He, he had 15 or 16 essays he had to write in a two-week span because he was his honor student, right? Honor student doesn't equal praise. Honor student equals essays. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> That's not the honor we're talking about today. Like, we're not talking about an honor student. We're not talking about a title. I actually want you to think about the military, okay? Like, if a man or woman walks by and they have a cap on that shows that they're a veteran, right? Maybe it's World War II, maybe it's Vietnam, maybe it's the Middle East, maybe there's a current, current military individual in your family. Maybe there's someone who's just like actually currently enlisted and you see them and you look at them and sometimes I think we overlook them, but I actually want us to rethink about that today. Do we actually realize what they do for us? Like there are men and women in our country who have looked at our country, has loved our country, has loved you without knowing who you are, said, I will give up my life. I will give it up so that you can have whatever you want. I'm actually going to put my life on the line. I'm going to move my family so often, every so many years, all over the country, all over the world. I'm not going to be home for years at a time because I'm going to make sure the rest of you can have the life that you want to have. Right? Like, they could have the life that we want, but no, they consider us as more worthy, right? They look at the country and they want to serve them, and so they let us have the best life we have at the cost of their own. That deserves honor. Like, we should have a deep respect, a deep gratitude for these people because they are literally giving up everything so that we can have everything. And that's the honor we're talking about this morning because honoring marriage, guys, isn't about giving somebody who's good at marriage a title of like, oh yeah, you have an honorable marriage. No, honoring marriage is actually a practice of deep gratitude and respect. So my point number two for the day Marriage should be addressed with the deepest gratitude and respect. Marriage should be addressed with the deepest gratitude and respect. All right, my word number three is all, okay? Marriage is to be honored by all, right? And sometimes, like, if you're reading this, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm sure he's just talking about all the married people in the room. That's not what this word means, right? If you're single here, you're like, oh, I hate these marriage talks, man, like, I come in here and you guys just talk about how marriage is a big deal. It makes your life so much better, man. It's this gospel call by like, I'm single and I don't care. <laughs> no, this word all is actually meant to mean the whole, every kind of, every person, all people are meant to honor marriage. If you're 80, 80 years old and you're widowed, you're meant to honor marriage. If you've been divorced three times, you're meant to honor marriage. If you've been married for 30 years and you have kids and a happy life, you're meant to honor marriage. If you're just about to get married, you're to honor marriage. If you're in college and you're like, man, I'm waiting for her or I'm waiting for him, like you are meant to honor marriage. 
you're a high school student, if you're a grade school student, like no matter who you are and no matter what your life story is, you are meant to honor marriage. And so I want to continue with the idea of military, okay? So I always thought the Navy SEALs were super cool. Like these guys are super trained. They're super awesome. I never want to make one of them mad because I know I'll lose pretty fast. Um, but one of my favorite things that they do is the, they hold this like huge log over their head. It's like log training for them. And so they get eight guys. I looked this up, so if this is wrong, somebody can feel free to correct me later. But I looked this up. There's like eight guys on a team, right? And they have this huge log, and they like hold it over their head. They're just really like standing there. And one of the competitions is to see which team of eight can hold the log over their head the longest. And I was like, all right, so this log looks pretty big. Like, this has got to be terrible. The log's only 200 pounds. Only 200 pounds. If you divide that by eight, that's 25 pounds per person. And every guy in this room is like, yes, I can do that. <laughs> 25 pounds isn't very much, right? If you do this as a team, this is actually a great challenge. You'll last a long time. But what happens when the guys on the end are like, man, this log's not that heavy. I don't need to help, right? So you have eight guys and the far two ends are like, oh, this doesn't really matter to me. I'm just going to walk away. So now you have six guys holding 200 pounds, and it just got a little heavier. And then they, the guys on the end are again are like, man, I, I don't know. You, you guys got it. 200 pounds isn't that much, so they walk away. And you have four, and then the last two walk away, and you're left with two people. Two people holding 200 pounds. They won't be able to hold the log for very long. right? The log will either crush them, or they're going to have to get out of the way, because it's very difficult to hold 100 pounds over your head for a long period of time, especially when it's like 18 feet long. Guys, when, I look at, when we look at marriage, this is a team effort. Okay, like single people, you have your life ascribed to God. Like you actually should look at married people and be like, no, remember who we're living for. And maybe you've been married for a long time and you shouldn't look back and be like, oh yeah, the young people are gonna figure it out. No, your wisdom matters. If you've been divorced, your wisdom matters too. Like if you have pain, if you have hardship, and maybe you're coming into these things, your wisdom matters because if we're all holding this log together, it's pretty light. But what happens is if some person on the right side is like, I've been married too long or I'm divorced, I'm leaving. And the other side is like, I'm single, I'm leaving. And you get down to the only two people who are actually married, the weight of marriage will crush them. If we don't all come together as a team for marriage, we will not accurately represent the God who created it. Point number three is marriage is not about couple isolation. It is a team mission. Marriage is not about couple isolation. It is a team mission. My fourth word, I guess, is technically two words, but it's marriage bed, okay? You're all excited about this. What the heck's this guy going to say? He's not married. I don't know. Um, just kidding. <laughs> Last week, Mark's talking to us, right? He's talking to us about family. Like, we're a group. Like, why do we come to church? It's because we're the family of God, and family gets together. Like, why do we do the meet and greet that Dalton did earlier? We want to come together. We want to be a family who knows each other and who loves each other, so we come to church because that is where our family gets together, right? And so the marriage bed, that's where a married couple gets together, all right? I don't need to say more than that. The marriage bed is where married people come together. That's point um, number four. Number five is the word undefiled. Right? Some of your translations might say pure, but the word undefiled slash pure, this actually means to not be contaminated, right? Free from contamination. And he's using this in contrast 
to adultery and sexual immorality. Right? As he's talking about these things, he's like, don't defile the marriage bed. Like, this is not something to be taken lightly. Like, take this seriously. And what he's saying is to defile it, you actually commit sexual immorality or adultery. Those are the two things that disqualify and defile the marriage bed. Right? And sometimes we're like, man, yeah, adultery, sexual immorality, same thing. Those aren't the same thing. When the Bible says those two words, it's not the same thing. In this text, they're not the same thing. Adultery is when someone in marriage cheats on their spouse. Right? They're the ones who actually step out and they break the marriage bed. They invite someone else in or something else in, and they ruin the marriage bed. And the sexually immoral is actually a word used for all people who aren't married. As for the single people out here, right? Marriage still matters for you. Like sexual immorality can hurt and defile the marriage bed even if you're not married. Right? So as I was thinking about this word, I was thinking about the word pure. I was like, what's pure, right? Like, what's something that's really pure? And what's really pure to us is actually water, okay? I don't like water. You can ask my fiance. She tries to make me drink all the time. I do not do well with that. But water is awesome. It's great. It's pure. Like, when we look at it, it's clear. It tastes good. Like, it looks nice. Like, if, if you have a bottle of water, they literally say purified water. Like, there's, like, the pure life waters. Like, water is supposed to be pure, Right? And then they go a little bit further with their marketing schemes, and they get me every time. Because they're like, yeah, this is not just pure water. It's natural spring water from its natural source. I'm like, yes, thank you. It tastes so much better. I don't actually know if there's any difference, but they got me with the words. It's from its original source. It's pure. It's pure water itself. This water is the purest. And so sometimes I think we think about sexual morality and adultery, and we look at them and we're like, oh yeah, like that's just like adding a little bit of dirt to my water. Like I'm just going to scoop up some dirt or bacteria or whatever, I'm going to throw it in my water, I'm going to mix it up, it gets all muddy, I'm not going to drink that anymore because it is contaminated. Right? It's not pure, it's not good. And we think of sexual immorality and we think of adultery as the muddy water, but I actually don't think that does it justice. We can filter water. We have filters. Like, we literally have our own jugs you can put in your fridge. You can filter the water out of your sink. You could filter this muddy water. They've invented, like, these straws where you can drink the water through the straw, and it'll actually be filtered by that straw. And if worse comes to worse, you can boil it, right? It might not look pure, but it's going to taste pure, and you're not going to get sick. But I want to look at it this way. If somebody gave you a bottle of water, and it was clear, and it was cold, you'd be pretty fast to drink it. And you drink that bottle of water, and like three minutes later, you're dying. Or you didn't see anything wrong with it. You didn't see something wrong with the water. Like it looked pure, but it wasn't because the person who gave you that water poisoned it three minutes before they gave it to you. They shook it up. They handed it to you. It looked fine. Like it looked fine. It was cold. It even tasted fine, but it was poisonous. Sexual sin does not just pollute you. In your marriage, sexual sin does not just pollute marriage's purity, it poisons it. Sexual sin does not just pollute marriage's purity, it poisons it. The world looks at that and they're like, man, I gotta figure out that chemistry. We were talking about this earlier. I gotta make sure this marriage is gonna be fine. We're still gonna get married. It still looks like this bottle of water, it still looks pure, it still looks like it's gonna be fine, it still tastes good. But what they don't realize is that though it looks fine, it will kill them, it will ruin marriage for you. Because sexual sin does not just pollute marriage's purity, it poisons it. 
Our last word of the day is judge. Got really quiet. Right? Judge is a heavy word, right? He says, because God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Right? This author isn't hiding from the reality of who God is. He's saying God will judge these people. Matthew 5, Jesus' famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, he's addressing sexual sin, he's addressing adultery when people lust in their heart. They're actually committing adultery is what he tells us. And he says to them, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus takes sexual sin very seriously. Right? I can't look at the words that he's given and be like, man, oh yeah, like judgment just means kind of like he's going to be a little hard on you. No, like he's saying this is a big deal. Like Revelation 21, right? If you've read your Bible, if you're familiar with the end of your Bible, Revelation 21 is the excitement of Christians. Because Jesus is coming back and he's marrying his bride, the church. He's bringing the new Jerusalem. He's bringing the new creation. He's saying, if you have conquered the world, if you've chosen me, here's the water of life. The thing that you need, the thing that you're longing for, the thing that you're aching for inside, here it is. But it finishes with, but the cowards, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, and the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Sexual sin is not a joke. Jesus takes it very seriously. I want to tell you about somebody who's meant a lot to me in my life, who still continues to mean a lot to me, and it's my grandpa Ryder. Okay, he passed away almost two years ago, a little over a year and a half ago. Um, from cancer. And he was a really great man. He loved the Lord a lot. He loved to seek the Lord. Like, I look back on my life, and the bits of knowledge that he gave me are incredible. Like, this wisdom he gave me is incredible about how I should follow the Lord. And he loved God. And on top of that, he was incredibly in physical shape. Like, it was crazy. Like, he passed away when he was 87, but up until that point, he would walk three miles a day. He painted his house, he, did, he cleaned his gutters, he gardened, he did all of these things. And like, he did what 87-year-olds shouldn't do, right? Like he was, it was incredible. Like, we went to New Mexico when I was in college. He went hiking with us at like 85. Like, this dude was in incredible shape. He was brilliant, he was wise, and he was so fun to be around. Like, four months before my grandpa died, things started to change. All of a sudden, his body got a little more brittle, his mind became a little bit more confused. And we looked at him like, yeah, I guess he's 87. He's probably just getting old. But then all of a sudden, in the last month of his life, things ramped up. Before I knew it, my dad was calling me, telling my grandpa had terminal cancer, that he was going to die. And it was heartbreaking because this man who had been strong physically, strong intellectually, and strong in his faith was actually incredibly weak in this moment. Like everything that he had gained in this world seemed like it was wasting away. When he had done everything by himself, he now could not even get out of bed by himself. He had bone cancer. His bones were breaking. And as they were breaking, there was the calcium in his bones would leak into his brain. It was poisoning his mind. Like this cancer was actually tearing my grandfather apart. 
And if you would have told me that you could save him, if you would have told me that you could have cured this cancer, if it would have been like, man, I'm going to give your grandpa surgery. I know I can save him. It's going to be hours upon hours. It's going to be a hard recovery, but I can save your grandpa. I would have said, yes, please do. Please save him. Guys, allowing or choosing lust in our life is choosing spiritual cancer. We asked it earlier, why is marriage such a big deal? Why can't I just give it to my desires? Why can't I just do what feels good? Why are you Christians so hard on me? Why are we as Christians so serious? It's because what we call our desires are actually our disease. What we call our desires are actually our disease. And I'm not talking about like the good desires, like I want to be married and I want to follow the Lord and I want to read the Bible. I'm talking about the ones that, man, I just want to do what feels good. I don't want to admit that it's sin. I just want to be me because that's what the world says I can do. Guys, those aren't simply your desires. They are actually your disease. And God's judgment is the cure. Tozer has a quote about God's wrath. He says, to understand God's wrath, we must view it in the light of his holiness. God is holy and has made holiness to be the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. Sin's temporary presence in the world only accents this. Whatever is holy is healthy. Evil is a moral sickness that must end ultimately in death. Point number six, guys, is God's judgment is not harsh. It is our hope. God's judgment is not harsh. It is our hope. Because God's judgment produces holiness, and that holiness will produce our wholeness. If you want to be healthy, if you want life, God's judgment is actually the best news ever. But I know that though I say that, and though I mean to encourage you, many of you are probably feeling very discouraged. Right? You look back on your life, and you're like, it is riddled with sexual sin. I have watched countless things that I shouldn't have watched. I have been with more people than I should have. I have actually ruined my marriage, or I am ruining my marriage, or I am not ready for a relationship because I can't get out of this pit of sin. Right? Like You might have even been there last night, and you're coming in this morning, and what you're hearing is God is going to judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous, and all you feel is the weight of, then that's me. Like God is going to judge me. Right, you, you just talked about religious turmoil. Well, that means I'm the one that's going to be cast outside the city. That's when I'm the one who's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. What I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans 5, 8, and it says, But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This makes no sense to me, right? I'm a very logical thinker. I like to process things. This verse makes no sense to me. I do not understand why the God of the universe would look at me in the face of my sin, and especially my sexual sin, and say, I love you, and I actually died for you when you were at your very worst. 
When you've done the things that you want no one to know, when you've done the things that you regret more than anything else, the things that still feel like they're heavy on your shoulders, that is when Christ died for you. The gospel isn't be better so Christ will love you. The gospel is Christ loves you at your worst. The longest passage about marriage in the Bible is Ephesians 5. Right? And throughout this passage, Paul is talking to the people of Ephesus and he's saying like, to men, like, men, marry your wives, like, love them, die for them. And he's saying, women, like, respect your husbands, submit to them. And sometimes we look at that in the face of, like, well, how should my marriage look? But the point of that passage is actually to reflect us to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the groom we're waiting for. The marriage of Christ and the church is the marriage we're waiting for. It says in there that Jesus is actually gonna present us to himself and he's not gonna present you as your ugly, sinful self. He's not gonna present you as what you feel is worthless, what you feel is painful, what you feel like deserves death. It actually says in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Christ will present you to himself in perfection. Because it's not about the girl or the guy you're waiting for or the girl or guy that broke you or the thing you've done that's messed you up. Right? It's not these things that we're putting our hope in. It is Christ for whom we wait and for whom we put our hope in. For Christ alone is the truth and Christ alone is our salvation and Christ alone will fulfill the hole in your heart. And so the call today is I don't know where all of you are at. Right? I don't know where each of you has been in the last 24 hours or the last two weeks. I don't know your past, your present, or your future. But what I do know is Jesus is king, and so I'm calling you guys today. Like, If this is part of your life, if sexual sin is riddled in your life, repent. Like, Come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Come into my heart. Save me. Because he will. He will save you, right? He loves you and the truth of our family as the church is we're gonna come right beside you and do it with you, right? This isn't gonna be an easy journey. It's not gonna be a fast healing process. It's gonna be an extensive surgery with a lot of physical therapy and a lot of healing. But Christ is the great healer and we as your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to come alongside you and actually help you heal, and feel the love of Jesus Christ. Because guys, one of the best ways we can be a light in this broken and dark world is that we would honor the marriage the way we should. Right? We fight for marriage, not because it is about us, but because it is about our creator and our God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a reality of our life and our truth and our hope is that actually who you are, Jesus, is what we long for. That we as the church have become your bride. That you did not only die for us and save us, you actually rose from the dead victorious over sin. You're coming back. You're coming back to marry your church, to bring them to you. Lord, I pray if there's people in this room and they don't, feel great after the sermon, Lord, if they're like, man, the judgment is on me, actually, that they would feel the gift of you, Jesus, that they would feel your love, your heart, and your forgiveness, that they would give their life to you today because you and you alone will fix that. 
Holy Spirit, be in this place. Work in our hearts. Redeem us as we know you have. Sanctify us as we know you will. Lord, may we love you always. Amen.